Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Last week, President Donald Trump announced via Twitter that he would ban transgender men and women from serving in the U.S. military. That tweet came as a shock for a couple of reasons. First, because it wasn't a move, apparently, that the branches of the military had asked for or even Desired. In fact, the Joint Chiefs countered that they would not change their policy regarding transgender troops until they were told in an official directive to do so. And just a reminder to folks, Twitter is not an official directive, even though the president seems to be using it that way. Second, it seems that this ban was tied to a battle over the defense budget. The U.S. House had been battling over a provision in the spending plan that would not ban transgender troops but rather ban federal funding for gender reassignment surgery for service members. That proposal ultimately failed after two dozen Republicans, including Michigan's Justin Amash, teamed up with Democrats to scuttle the proposal. What makes all of this even more confusing is a lingering question over whether Trump was trying to move the hamstrung defense budget along faster because it includes funding for his holy grail, his white whale, a border wall between the United States and Mexico. It's all a really twisting, winding story that still leaves several open questions that directly impact thousands of active duty transgender men and women in the U.S. military. In a few moments, we're going to talk to a transgender woman who served in the military in the 1970s, But first, we wanted to hear from State Senator David Knizek of Dearborn Heights. David served two tours of duty in Iraq as a scout sniper platoon member of the U.S. Marine Corps, and he rose to the level of sergeant. When President Trump tweeted out that he was banning transgender troops, Knizek took to Facebook to decry the move, saying of transgender service members, quote, if you're willing to lay down your life for me, I'm willing to lay down my life for you, and we're both willing to lay down our lives for our country. That's all that should matter. Kadizek spoke with Detroit Today producer Laura Weber Davis. Here is their conversation. I read your Facebook post, and I found it very, um, I found it very direct and uh, moving. Colorful, I hope. Colorful, yes, and <laughs> and uh, moving at the same time. Um, I'm just I'm curious what made you what drove you as a veteran to say, I really got to speak out on this issue, even if briefly, you know, it's it's just frustrating to hear a president of the United States who's never served in the military, not only never served, but actively sought to defer his service in the military, uh, be so opinionated about who can and who can't serve uh, when he himself has never spent any time in the trenches and, and never spent any time carrying a 150-pound pack around Iraq. And I think about the guys and girls that I served with, uh, men and women, gay and straight, uh, black and white. I don't know if there's any transgender individuals, but I'll tell you, at the end of the day, uh, when you're overseas, you're 5,000 miles away from home, you don't care uh, who's to your left or who's to your right, as long as you know uh, when it hits the fan, if you will, that that person's going to have your back. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what color your skin is, who you kiss at night. I don't care what you have between your legs. If you are going to protect me in a combat situation and I'm going to protect you and we're both willing to lay down our lives for our country, that's the only thing that should matter. Are you willing to serve and are you able to serve, period? 
And to, to listen to what the president said about transgender individuals not being able to serve their country. I mean, these are men and women who are willing to sacrifice everything for our country, and we're telling them that they're not good enough. Uh, it, it really flies in the face of everything I felt that I fought for uh, when I was in the Marine Corps. And uh, I think it's a, a shameful uh, representation of this president and how he just values some Americans less than others. It was really disappointing. You know, it's it's also it's interesting because the military is in many ways a microcosm of the American body in that you're going to have varied um, political views, including yours probably being on the farther left end of the spectrum. And I'm sure you served with people who um, were homophobic, perhaps, or would not have wanted to serve along somebody who was transgender. But what were your conversations on a political level or were there no conversations about politics once you're when you were in Iraq? Like, how do you how do you make up the sort of middle ground between differing views on these sort of big social subjects? I tell you what's what's fascinating is we talk all the time in uh, our everyday lives here back in America about how, how we want to agree without being disagreeable. And I always thought that that's how our political discussions were when I was in the military, and particularly when I was in Iraq, it was in the middle of the first presidential uh, campaign for Barack Obama. And so, you know, there I am, I'm talking about Senator Obama, and I've got my colleagues who are very pro John McCain at the time. Uh, And we would sit there and we would go back and forth sometimes for hours at night to try and pass the time. Uh, But when you woke up the next morning, you know, you had a job to do and all that got pushed to the side. This is a total, uh, I'm trying not to ramble for you, but just to give you an example of, of how straightforward the military is on some of these issues, you know, I served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and I served uh, the day it was repealed and, you know, for a number of years afterwards. The day Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, a formation was called. The company commander came out in front of everybody. He said, this is a new directive. We're treating everybody with respect. That's the end of the story. Dismissed. Hmm. You've got all these folks in America who are making this huge deal about transgender service members, LGBT service members, females serving in combat. Uh, and it's just not an issue to us in the military, at least in my experience, where uh, tell me what the mission is. And priority number one is mission accomplishment. That's it. Uh, we don't have time uh, for uh, that, that political back and forth. Uh, that could result in uh, compromising our mission. And so uh, we love the political banter. I think it's inherent to who we are. And and certainly uh, we feel like we're a part of uh, defending that freedom that's going to be upheld or attacked by whoever is in the Oval Office. And I've just felt so many times over the last few months, uh, this, this is just not the America that I envisioned when I was serving in the military. This is not the, the temperament of a commander-in-chief that I envision when serving in our military. Uh, and so it's frustrating to watch that deterioration from within the Oval Office. Well, so tell me a little bit about, like, sort of the post-don't-ask-don't-tell world that the military is living in now. I can imagine that before before that was drawn back, and, and now that it's a directive, people, no matter how they feel about gay marriage or how they feel about trans people— um, people in the military, it sounds like, are going to follow through with the directives that they're given. That is the nature Absolutely. of the military. But before Absolutely. before that was drawn back, um, I imagine that the military could have felt like a pretty hostile place to somebody who was closeted gay or closeted trans. 
Um, and it would have either precluded people from going into the military in the first place, but also had like some long-term psychological effects, I would think, if I were somebody serving in the military, hearing maybe my comrades saying really ugly things about who I really am on the inside. It's, that's certainly possible. I mean, uh, as someone uh, could imagine, you know, the, the military is full of very colorful language. Uh, some of it can be negative at times. Some of it can be uh, directed at individuals, uh, you know, in, like you said, a, a homophobic way. Uh, but, again, I think that when you think about folks who are serving, and, and even if they might be serving in an environment uh, that isn't as friendly or isn't as welcoming, that's all the more reason to respect the fact that they're willing to serve this country while dealing with that negative situation, not to uh, demonize them and to seek out ways to throw them out of the military, but to respect the fact that this person is so dedicated to duty, so committed to their country, that they're willing to enter into uh, what they might know is going to be a hostile work environment in some ways, uh, but because they believe so deeply in the values of our country, uh, they're willing to ignore that and, and try and push forward with the mission at hand. And so uh, that, that's the way that I would try and look at that, uh, that one in particular. We're talking to State Senator David Knizek right now. He is an, uh, a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, he also is against any banning of transgender people in the military. Let's talk a little bit, um, Senator, about the the tweet sent out by the president and the confusion created around it. It seems to have come out of, this tweet seems to have come out of a debate over the military spending budget in the U.S. House that would prevent tax dollars being spent on um, sex reassignment surgery, but not banning transgender people from the military. Uh, it seems to me like a pretty big leap, and I haven't seen, and I wanted to see if you had seen any support, even from Republicans who wanted that budgetary measure passed, for a total and outright ban of transgender people in the military. No, in fact, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised at the number of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle who have spoken out against, against this ban. Uh, and how dangerous it can be and how uh, greatly it could affect troop morale and how it could compromise American interests abroad. Uh, you look at the Department of Defense. They were caught off guard by this announcement. You look at the Secretary of Defense, uh, General Mattis, whom I served under in Iraq, uh, completely caught off guard by the announcement. And so I think what the president is trying to do is he's trying to make uh, this a political issue. He's trying to turn it into a campaign issue. For 2018, imagine forcing, you know, a number of Democratic U.S. senators to go out uh, on the campaign trail, force them to defend the issue, force them to explain the issue. I think the president sees a political opportunity here. Uh, and what he's forgetting is that, again, you are you are denigrating the lives of American service members, one who are already serving. I mean, we have thousands of transgender service members already serving. A uh, phenomenal story about uh, a U.S. Navy SEAL who recently transitioned. Uh, I mean, we're talking about top-notch operators in our United States military. And again, that's all that should matter. Can you do the job? Are you willing to serve? Uh, the president's fascination with everything outside of those two criteria uh, is a real distraction, and it keeps us from talking about other very serious issues that we're facing in this country. 
and it could keep some of the best and brightest from serving within our armed forces. We should want the best and the brightest. Well, it's, and it's interesting. We haven't heard uh, an official directive. It seems like everything is coming through this single tweet or a string of tweets, if you will, um, that imp- that implied that it was going to be an official proclamation, but then the Joint Chiefs came out and said, no, there's no official proclamation, right. and we will continue um, forward with our service members, respecting all of our service members, until we have an official directive. So what would that take? Would that take a, an executive order? At what point does the military say a tweet becomes official, if you will? The mil- well, I'll tell you, the military is going to say that the tweet itself is never official until they receive a directive from the president that can be implemented by the Secretary of Defense and the Department of Defense. And as you noted, uh, it was General Dunford, a Marine Corps general, current chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, who came out just a day later and said, this tweet is not policy. Uh, Until the president sends us a directive, we are not implementing anything. We are not getting rid of anybody. We are not blocking anybody's entrance into the military. We are going to continue on. Uh, business as usual. And as you pointed out, and as I pointed out from the previous conversations I had in the military, he used that key word, respect. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue to treat everyone with respect. Uh, and again, I think that in, in many ways uh, is how the military operates. And, uh, you know, as you can appreciate, very by the book, very straightforward, very black and white. If there's no directive from the president, there will be no changes in Department of Defense policy. Uh, per the Joint Chiefs. State Senator David Knizek of Dearborn Heights, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that was Detroit Today producer Laura Weber-Davis speaking with State Senator David Knizek. It's also important to note that we reached out to several Michigan Republicans in Congress who voted for the ban on taxpayer-funded sex reassignment surgery in the military. Not one of them responded to our request to appear on the show today. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about transgender troops in the military, and we're going to hear from a transgender woman who served in the Navy. We also want to hear from you. What do you think about the controversy over transgender troops? Do you think the president is right? Do you think he's wrong? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about the president's tweet last week. That suggested he believes that transgender troops ought not serve in the U.S. military. This has, of course, started a pretty robust argument and conversation about the whole idea of transgender troops. There was a fight in Congress recently over sex reassignment surgery. Is this an outgrowth of that? Is this a way for the president to try to get to the funding for his border wall between the United States and Mexico. All of those questions have been swirling around since the president made his tweet. But caught in the center of that are troops themselves, transgender troops themselves, who serve in our military now. There are 
people who fit in that category who are impacted by this in a very first-person way. We're going to be joined in a second by somebody who fits that category. But we also want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. What do you think about this entire controversy over who can serve and who cannot serve? Do you think this is analogous to the really, really intense arguments uh, a few decades ago now about whether gay troops could serve in the military? Is this, this, is this sort of the new frontier of that argument, or is this something different altogether? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. What do you think about the idea of banning transgender troops from the U.S. military? Is that something you think should be done? Or do you think that this is some sort of political witch hunt on the part of the president? Or is it a proxy to try to get him something else that he wants? We especially want to hear from people who served in the U.S. military. If you were somebody who was in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force or the Marines, talk about what you saw with regard to this issue. Did you think it was an issue? Did you think it wasn't? so much of an issue. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now is Shar Davenport, a transgender woman and U.S. Navy veteran from 1974 to 1981. She teaches writing and rhetoric at Oakland University and is an activist for LGBT rights. Shar, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here and in these beautiful studios. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad you, you joined us. Uh, first, let's let's have you tell your story, not just about uh, about uh, your, your time in the military, but the change that has taken place for you over your life. These two things sort of coincide, I guess, but uh, but I, I imagine they run along very, very different tracks. Yeah, they do. Um, before I say anything, I, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my mother. Um, sure. <laughs> up, in, uh, up in Essexville, Michigan, uh -huh. um, and also uh, to my children. They're the bravest, most courageous women I know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, lay that out there. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I don't want to, obviously, the story could be quite long. Sure. Um, but uh, I, when I joined the military uh, in October, uh, on October 15th, we, we never forget that day. Uh, <laughs> of 1974. Uh -huh. Right. Um, I uh, uh, went through the AFI station here in Detroit, and, and it was really quite intimidating for me. I was a very small person, and um, there was a lot of testosterone um, <laughs> in the air. And uh, I wasn't sure if they would let me in, but they did. And, um, you know, because at that time, being gay or transgender or bisexual lesbian was a perversion. It was a sexual perversion. Mm -hmm. It was per in the military. It was against the law. Um, and... My intention going in, like a lot of veterans my age, was to that this would somehow man me up, you know, that this is the thing that would get me huh. going to in the direction that evidently I was supposed to go. Um, and I tried so hard. Yeah, but, um, you know, I had the good fortune 
looking back on it now, of actually meeting other transgender service members, mm -hmm. LGBT service members, and we met in secret. And we talked about things, and I discovered that you didn't have to get your hormones on the street or whatever, <laughs> or that you could even get them from a doctor was amazing. Because I had a friend who was transitioning, and um, so uh, she... And this was someone who was in the military with In you. the military yeah. with me, and we were st uh, in Hawaii in 1976 at that time, um, or maybe the Philippines, Thailand, South Korea, wherever we were. And... Um, and we met in private and we had a, you know, there were a few of us uh, and it was like, you know, we all had top secret clearances, <laughs> but nothing rose above the level of the secrecy with which we served. Sure, sure. Uh, so, so talk about <clears throat> how you saw yourself when you joined the military. You said you joined as a way of, of trying to get tougher to maybe be more of a quote-unquote man as we define that, and especially in the 70s, probably defined it very, very narrowly. Did you already know, though, that there was something different about you and that you you felt somehow apart? Did you identify as as transgender at that point, or, or, or were you still not there? Well, this is quite a while ago. Um, transgender wasn't really it wasn't really a, something wasn't really that, a part yeah. of my vocabulary, but it certainly was um, a part of my understanding of who I was. I, to be quite frank with you, I, th I thought you know I that there was something wrong with me, and I had no vocabulary for it. Mm -hmm. And um, um, I had tried to talk to my parents about it when I was quite small, kindergarten actually was my first uh, kind of bad experience um, um, and uh, at in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And so I was, what, five or something. And um, But uh, I sat down with my father when I was eight on the front porch, and uh, he wanted me to play baseball. And I was like, now, why shouldn't I be in the concession <laughs> stand? And, um, and, you know, my father loved me, um, and he was a good man. And uh, but but he didn't see this either. Nobody saw this. Mm -hmm. uh, we were jokes at best on the Jack Parr show or something like that. And um, but uh, so did I, I. I think better to say when did I know? Yeah, I would have to say that I don't remember ever not knowing. What I do remember knowing is, oh, I need to push this way down, um, whatever vocabulary I used at that age. But it, you know, I can't. I felt like I hope nobody can actually see me. And uh, wow. that was, you know, that was my life. But, you know, when I got into the Navy and I was, I happened to share rooms in the barracks, and I don't want to use their names, but with some, uh, you know, people who really opened my eyes. And because they were there, they were in the same place. And um, they saw me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how to describe that feeling. <laughs> and I think I tried to tell people. And they said, no, 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 no. Don't talk about this. Right, <laughs> and we right. didn't. We did not talk about it. So, so it is, it, is it after you leave the military in 1981 that you decide that, hey, I really am going to, to embrace this and embrace who I am and not, not try to to hide that anymore. You know, I really wish that was the case um, in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, when I got out, I think what I had taught myself to do was to live with, live with just f 
faking it for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, this, you know, there's, um, so I went through periods where I, you know, abused alcohol, drugs, attempted suicides. And, uh, uh, well, though I'm not married anymore, sometimes I feel like I was married, I was married at one point, um, to, uh, Sarah and, um, and, Although she didn't know it at the time, and I don't think I did, she more or less rescued me, mm. and um, she understood me, and I don't regret any of it. I have three beautiful, beautiful children, and you know. So when I finally, you know, was out there, said, no, no, I told them I wished I had transitioned sooner, <laughs> and all of them said, "Well, not us, not me." <laughs> right. And I was like, "Why?" And they said, "Because we wouldn't be we here. wouldn't be around." Yeah, right. and we love you, and so you know. Yeah. And nobody was survived, uh, sure. was surprised. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Shar Davenport, a transgender woman and U.S. Navy veteran from 1974 to 1981. She teaches writing and rhetoric at Oakland University and is an activist for LGBT rights. We're talking about the idea of transgender <coughs> troops in the military. President Donald Trump says he does not want transgender Americans to serve in the U.S. military. The Joint Chiefs say maybe that's not something they're going to follow until the president puts that into a formal order, which he has not yet done. But that has started a debate and a discussion about transgender troops in the U.S. military. There are troops already in the U.S. military who are transgender. What happens to them if Donald Trump's order becomes an order and he says, we won't have transgender Americans in the military anymore. What does it mean to those folks who will be affected by this? Uh, we also want to hear from you. What do you think about the idea of transgender troops in the U.S. military? Is this something that the president is right about? Is it too much of a distraction? He also hinted that he thought it was too expensive for sex reassignment surgeries in the military. And there was a bill in the U.S. House that was going to ban payment, government payment for these surgeries that failed. Is the president trying to pick up on that or is he up to something else? Is he trying to get his wall built between the United States and Mexico, one of the other sort of leverage points in the debate over the defense budget? We want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. We also can uh, take your comments on the WDT Facebook page. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Ayana in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hi, how are you? My name is Ayana Morales. I'm a recent Morales Cayley. I'm a recent U.S. Army retiree. I retired a year ago, mm -hmm. active duty. Um, I don't care who covers my back as long as they cover my back. Mm -hmm. um, it's so ridiculous to hear um, that it's 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 caught it's not cost prohibitive to have um transgender just do it like breast implants the army does breast implants the military does breast implants you pay for your own breast implants but they'll do them for you oh. i mean considering that we spend 84 million dollars on viagra <laughs> and the right. other thing is there's 15,000 transgender service people who are serving to this day right now i would tell you where the sticking point is the sticking point is I'm born bio biologically a female, and you have someone who may transition from male to female, 
then they are competing as far as PT tests goes, um, and that could cause pr- problems with promotions. Right. So that's a sticking point. But I don't care what you were before, what you are, what I care is, are you a good shot? Do you do your job well? A lot of people complain about it, have never served. Right. And they would never understand something like that. Yeah. So, Miss Miss Davenport, I wish you well. And Mr. Henderson, thank you for discussing this. So, so Yana, before yeah, oh, I just want to say thank you so much for your service and for thank so you too, and so eloquently expressing um, your your view on this. I I almost couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you, you. Uh, Yana. Before I, before I let you go, I want to ask you uh, about your experience with this. When you were in the military, in the military, did you, did this issue ever present itself to you? Did you know people in uh, in the military who were who were transgender? Military is a slice of life, so you have your you have your you you have your LG um, LGTB <laughs> soldiers who were training there, and I would tell you some of them were were the. For lack of an urban term, they were your ride or dies. They yeah. really worked hard. They wanted to be there, um, and they, you know, because they were living double lives before. Don't ask, don't tell. Because I served twenty four years, um, eight months, and fifteen days. Wow. They were the ones who put forth such effort, yeah. um, and they were living double lives and trying to be great soldiers and. I don't, you know, they don't ask me who I sleep with, and I don't ask them who they sleep with. <laughs> but I can tell you, are you a good soldier? Do you have my back? That's the stuff that I want to know as a soldier, yeah. as a retiree, yeah. as an enlisted person, and as a retiree, as an officer. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Th- Ayana, thank you very much for, thank uh, for you. the call and, good and luck for your you. comments. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to Rebecca in Wyandotte. Rebecca, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hi. How is everyone? Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> Go ahead. Hi. So uh, I was just listening to the senator keep saying, you know, who's willing and who's able. And obviously our president or doesn't think that transgender individuals are willing and able. So how do we differentiate between political or social motives to bar people from serving as to what actually keeps someone from serving, um, you know, for medical reasons or anything like that? And is there anyone else to regulate this? Like, how do we, you know, figure out? And you know who, right. yeah, the motives and things like that. Or is there anyone else that can, you know, put their two cents in it? Or, or does it just come down to what the president, you know, executive order that's a or great, anything like that? That's a great question, uh, Rebecca. Thanks very much for calling and asking. My understanding is that, you know, I mean, the, the the military is managed by the Joint Chiefs, and yes, they take directives from the president. But I also yeah. believe that there are times when they say, listen, you know, uh, this is an organization that has to run a certain way and there are certain standards we have to, uh, first of all, uphold and, and enforce in order to, to make sure that we have the military readiness, readiness that we have. I don't know what the, what the balance of power looks like there. However, can the president order them to just do what he wants to do rather than what they think is – is is right. I, I would imagine that your experience, though, Shar, was that there's a military chain of command and it absolutely. stops short of the political infrastructure. Well, absolutely. And I kind of wanted to jump in on what you were saying. Sure. And, um, uh, you know, from the top down, I guess, you know, the president of the United States um, uh, should have consulted uh, for some time before just waking up in the morning and sending out a bunch of tweets um, 
And, uh, and he didn't. I mean, and, we know he, he did not. No, he did not. And he left everybody kind of scrambling. And I, I would just say anybody who's um, ever served in the military or ever really actually had a job, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, but um, uh, that's just not how you communicate. That's not how you operate. Um, you know, uh, it would be akin to, you know, walking into your fast food job or something. And I've I've been in those situations where they said, hey, guess what? We're not going to make uh, any more hamburgers. Starting in five minutes, we're doing hot dogs. Mm -hmm. And it was like, what? So, but um, when I was in the military, and my, I, you know, my father served during World War II. My son served uh, uh, in, uh, during the time of Iraq and Afghanistan. And, of course, I was uh, Vietnam era. But when I was in the military, we didn't wake up in the morning and said, to ourselves, well, I wonder what the president wants us to do today, or <laughs> I wonder what the Joint Chiefs of Staff are talking about. We went to the person, like um, uh, Stephen said, the chain of command. What what does that person require of me right today? Now, because right. I need to do that. And, um, you know, we had to be ready. I was trained. I was waterboarded in part of my training and put in a prisoner of war camp as part of right? my training wow. and so on. And um, along with several others, I was air crew. I flew for 1,200 hours and we did secret missions and rescue missions and things like that. So um, we often did not know uh, when we woke up what, what the call to duty was going to entail. Mm -hmm. And we had to be ready to go. Um, you know, and it's a little diff it's a little difficult. It's that's difficult by itself. Um, but you know, when you're fighting two wars at the same time, one is very personal and internalized. I, I don't know if internalized is the right word, but one that you're fighting not just with yourself, but to make sure that that um, uh, the people you're serving with could potentially be an enemy in that kind of secret war that mm -hmm. you're in, mm -hmm. and then to look out and say, you know, we need to fly from here to there and accomplish this mission. Uh, it's a lot of stress. It's an incredible amount of stress, as I recall. <laughs> I, it was 40-some-odd 40, 40 years ago, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about how you see the progression of this issue in terms of the military. So 20 years ago, we were having this fight about gay troops in the military right. and the exactly. arguments then were very similar to the arguments now it's a distraction it's something that that undermines the morale that we need people in the military to have in order to to, to be ready to serve um i i wonder if you if you see a distinction between that debate and this one there seems to be at least in the president's mind and maybe in minds of people who agree with him that there is a difference that there's a difference between being gay and there's a and being trans and that one is somehow more disruptive than the other interesting um i i would just like to say this has been a debate for far longer than uh, sure, that we can right. go back to the tuskegee airmen yes, that's and, right. and all the way to the civil war now and i don't just mean trans people or lgbt people but um, uh, question of people who, of people who can of color, people right. of color, for instance, can we trust them? That's right. You know, well, um, and that really was the debate: can we trust these people to serve? Well, uh, isn't it amazing that you can, 
despite everything else that's going on in society, um, they, they're still there uh, serving. So the difference that I see um, in the debate, is, uh, it's, 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 I don't want to say it's a fine line, but you know, here's the big difference. A transgender woman is a woman. A transgender man is a man. Um, when, uh, when you're LGB, LGB, lesbian, gay, bisexual, it's, um, that's who you are. And transgender in that way, it really isn't any different than that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I actually had someone say to me, you know, when I, when I, you know, being transgender, when they realized I was transgender, they said, wow, you're incredibly gay. And I was like, <laughs> no, actually, I'm not even a little bit. Right. Um, um, but um, I date men, uh-huh. you know. Um, and um, hello, Ralph. <laughs> anyway, um, but um, the debate is, is different. And um, I think initially the debate that was taking place really is since the 70s, uh, but uh, at the time that Don't Ask, Don't Tell came in, compared to where I was in the 70s, now I didn't serve during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but I thought, I, as I understood it, I thought, well, this is actually a little bit better than if we find out you are, um, we're going to take care of you. Yes. You're either going to be, um, you know, some people went to the brig. Um, if you were caught, if I if I had been caught, you know, in women's clothing, mm-hmm. um, I would I, before I was discharged, I would have had um, probably a court-martial serve time in the brig and before I was ever discharged. And um, that's, uh, I actually did serve time uh, <laughs> is in um, isolation at one time. But the, uh, as I understood, don't ask, tell, don't ask, don't tell, I thought if somebody else outs you, mm-hmm. um, then they were the one that was in trouble. But that's not how it, from my understanding, that's not how it worked out. I hope that those people who were dishonorably discharged or other than received an other than honorable discharge will um, uh, continue to work toward getting that honorable discharge on their DD-214, their discharge yeah. papers, uh, uh, put in place. I don't want to take up too much time. You probably have some calls coming sure. in. No, I was going to say we're, we're about time on the on the segment, but but go well, ahead. Well, I do, I, this is one point I want to make, a couple points I want to make. You know, when we um, – now, I didn't serve in the Vietnam War, but, I mean, in the war itself. Um, I was all around it, and we were doing rescue operations. But I want to say that, you know, when we came back from Vietnam, uh, nothing was what we thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um and I talked to a lot of veterans who served in combat and just, and, um, and this kind of like, okay, you're home, get on with it. <laughs> and, um, uh, and when our president, the president of the country that I risked my life to serve, that all veterans risk their lives to serve, that all active duty troop members or, or service members risk their lives every day to serve, the president of our country, in effect, has, um, and I take this personally, mm-hmm. has actually spit on us. And um, he was deferred five times <laughs> yes. for bogus, bogus reasons. And if I could just add one other thing. Sure. When they 
when you walk up to the door and you say, I want to be a part of that, I want to risk my life to be a part of this, and they tell you, no, they have taken away your choice. And when they take away that choice, then then your resistance is um, is robbed of its oxygen. Yes, yes. All right. Shar Davenport, uh, former U.S. Navy, uh, teaching rhetoric and writing at Oakland University, LGBT activist. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Detroit Oakland tonight. is a great university, yes, by the is. way. I love Detroit, <laughs> and I... Um, I just want to see Cabrera hit a home run. <laughs> right. Okay, thank, thank you. you for being here. Up next, we're going to talk to an author who wrote about her experience in a women's prison. Stay with us on Detroit Today.